My name's David. And I'm Russell. And this is Old News. And it's good to be back. Again. Again. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> oh dear. This is the usual internet thing we're going to start with. An apology. Uh, we have been off air for how many weeks now? Six weeks? Something like that, yeah. yeah but in fairness, I have been across to Canada for mm-hmm. a couple of weeks which was fabulous really really nice yeah. if anybody fancies going to look at a bit of Canada Nova Scotia is very nice the people are tremendously nice as well you know it's that shock horror Canadians are nice <laughs> nice Canadians were they, were they yeah. also polite they were very polite to a fault and it was really interesting how that part of Canada seems to really retain they're very community orientated. All right. Yeah. Like one of the things that surprised me was to discover that all of the fire departments are all volunteer ran. Oh, okay. And so the the firehouses, you know, form like the centre of the community in lot in lots of places. The Legion, you know, what we would call the British Legion, you know, they they right. have the you know, the Canadian Legion there, and they you know, they're still very active, you know, for their and that part of Canada has a lot a lot of ex servicemen, a lot of people uh, served in the navy and so on. Halifax is a big military town. It has a lovely sort of community feel. You see people pulling together. A lot of things still ran on a very voluntary basis people giving up their own money to pay for community facilities and things so yeah it's really really nice really yeah. really good and and how how's things with you all right got a new car new car yeah yeah excellent after all your your car shenanigans it was me who got the new, new car, car. <laughs> new car and i've yet to get off my backside to uh, replace mine yeah it really does need replacing and of course a new job as well or yes a new, new role a new anyway. role yeah, yeah 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 when i tell people about it and I say, well, it's it's the payroll and HR section. Mm-hmm. Isn't that isn't that what you did before? <laughs> <laughs> it's the same, but it's the different. Same, but different. Yeah. <laughs> Old news. Our last episode, however long ago it was, the Channel Tunnel did surprisingly well. Yeah, we seemed to get a lot of interest from the advertising we did on Facebook as well. The, uh, we yeah. we must thank Paul, Paul Paul for providing a photograph for free yeah. of a lovely brand new clasp something or other train. I can't yeah. remember the number now. We'll have to look it up. But, uh, that seemed to garner a lot of interest and people came by to listen to the podcast. Yeah. I, I haven't looked at the stats at all mm. for who's listens. Yeah. Two episodes ago, some of you might have realised the episode took a lot longer to download than the previous ones. And that was because I had accidentally recorded in incredibly high quality. Super high definition. Yeah. Old news. <laughs> and I didn't notice until it was already uploading. Uh, and by that time, I couldn't be bothered to take it back down and reduce it. <laughs> so apologies if we've consumed all the bandwidth. <laughs> Yeah. But one of the the uh, the upshots of that was that um, uh, we had to start paying more for our <laughs> the hosting, uh, the hosting, right? the hosting yeah. yeah. But that means we now get a lot more stats on who's listening and where and so on. All right, okay. you can probably guess the top four countries that listen to us: uh, UK, Canada, and the US. Yeah, but not in that order. And. Thirdly, uh, fourthly, I don't know, Australia, I'm yeah, guessing. Yes. Okay. So it's actually USA, UK, Australia, Canada. Right, That's in that order. order. Yeah. Uh, who do you think is fifth? Netherlands. Nope. Korea. Nope. Japan. I don't know. I'm we're, we are fairly big in Japan. They're about <laughs> seventh or eighth. You do like I'm, to say big in Japan. I'm big in Japan. Yep. That's a terrible joke. Yes, yeah, go yeah. on. Colombia? Colombia. Yeah. Now, how much of this is real listeners and bots? 
is is Colombia famous for having lots of bots? I wouldn't have said so. Oh. I mean, Russia, the Ukraine, those sorts of places. Yep, Colombia, Venezuela, maybe. But it depends, doesn't it? Because isn't there some places where lots of people like are using a certain version of Windows, and you know that's maybe very common in that country. And there's maybe a security loophole that. Mm. If you are from Colombia or <laughs> Colombia, as yes, we should say, yeah, um, please do get in touch. We're very welcome to uh, to be to be here with the rest of us. And in the USA, because it breaks it down by state in the USA. Oh, really? Which state do you think we're biggest in? Oh, I don't know. Is it maybe it's the South? No, no, no. Okay, go on. Okay. Well, uh, you'd think California, but well, because Cal- it's the most populous, yeah, right? California's second. Right. Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Loads of listeners in Pennsylvania. How strange. Oh, well. Welcome aboard <laughs> to everybody from pa- Pennsylvania. Old news. Is there anything else we need to talk about? We didn't get anybody um, recording old newses for us. Yeah, sad. Sad face. Ba- ba- bad state of affairs. But we'll just repeat the request. If you want to appear on old news, like for free, <laughs> uh, you can just, just say, just get to find a microphone or whatever. And your just, phone. Your phone and record the words old news and send them to us, care of all of our contact details, which, which will, will be coming will up later on in the program. Very, very soon. You can contact Old News on our website, www.oldnews.podbean.com. You can email us at oldnewspod at gmail.com. You can search for Old News Podcast on Facebook. You can tweet us at Old News Pod. And you can search for us on YouTube. How long before we either of us makes the bicycles joke in this podcast? The bicycles joke, because we are going to be talking about farming. Huh? Okay, well we we'll wait to see how long long it is before I manage I manage to uh, shoehorn in the bicycles comment. Um, no idea. <laughs> into the subject then. Into the subject. I'll I'll have the beef. <laughs> well, I'll stick to the uh, the minted lamb. <laughs> Typically British. Uh, so we're talking about bovine spongy form encephalopathy, which we will abbreviate to BSE, or I think and or mad cow disease. Mad cow disease. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? How if you if you read anything that's British, we always say mad cow disease or BSE, but the American media will always just abbreviate it to mad cow. Will they? Yeah. This <laughs> is obviously one of these sort of strange linguistic quirks. American media says, mad cow. <laughs> it's like, just the one? <laughs> really? Yeah. Just one massive insane cow <laughs> trundling about <laughs> with a funny hat. Yeah. <laughs> but this is this is the thing, right? And I think this slightly reflects what I noticed when I was looking into this, was that I started with a little bit of levity, you know, because I think... I was very young when this starts and there was certainly quite a lot of joking and kidding around at the time. There was the the joke about the two cows in the field. One says, oh, what do you think of this mad cow disease? Are you not worried about it? And the other one says, oh, I'm not concerned at all. I said, well, why is that? I said, well, I'm not a cow, I'm a teapot. (laughs) 
right? And I remember that. That, that is hilarious. And whenever there's these sort of slightly uh, serious issues, there's always this kind of humour. But I think the more I looked at it, the more I realised how serious this issue was. Yeah, yeah. And when we get to sort of the human effects of what's happened because of the, the outbreak of BSE, you start to think, you know, this is a death toll running into the hundreds and all of those families that have had people taken away from them. And often some folk really quite young mm-hmm. and you start to think this is like despite the kidding around and the lawful jokes and the press and things we lived with for a good number of years while this crisis unfolded this is actually really quite a serious topic and by, by the end of it I was a bit oh a bit deflated yeah, <laughs> yeah so I, I don't I don't know how I mean, do, you, do you remember the how this was reported at the time I remember all the jokes and I remember a lot of serious stuff in the news mm-hmm. quite a lot of fear mongering and there's a little bit of context about that I want to talk about with respect to other other food scares we've had. So we'll we'll get to that sort of in a few few moments time. But just to uh, sort of tell a little bit of narrative, we don't want to get sort of bogged down in narrative. I've written here the first recorded cases in 1986. Yeah, it takes a little while. It, the Ministry of Agriculture, Fisheries and Food in the UK. It's November 1987 when they officially say it's yeah. a new disease that we dealing with mm-hmm. I think by what I've read that the suspicion is that this disease had been around for a little bit longer but hadn't really been, hadn't been reported identified, identified yeah. as such yeah so you've got a little bit a bit about what BSC actually is and what it does it's a prion disease or prion Pr- however you want to pronounce yeah, it pr- yeah I think I read it as prion but I've got a feeling that prion is probably the more anyway go on yeah so a prion is it's it's what you might call a corrupted um protein protein yeah yeah it manages to spread so if you get a corrupted protein on these prions Mm. into your your body it'll affect other cells with those proteins and turn them into prions yeah Uh, and that's how it sort of goes through your your brain uh, and that's what it that's the problem it attacks your brain and it turns it literally spongy it, it literally puts holes holes, in, holes into the tissue holes through of the brain your, yeah yeah, spongy form. I mean, that is it is appalling, isn't it? Yeah, and and I suppose then you get sort of loss of loss of brain function. I guess no motor control and yeah, uh, and usually the only way to tell if someone has definitely had it or if a cow has definitely had it as post-mortem right there are other ways in uh, where people have tried to test you know blood and urine and things like that and some of them are promising but there's still no properly accepted way yeah i I was reading a little bit about a a test whereby they were was it taking a blood sample and then shining a laser through it somehow Mm -hmm. to detect but this this was extraordinarily finesse and very very tricky to do in the field kind of thing it's not, it's not like a, a simple test where you can take a sample and dip a paper strip in it or whatever you need a special apparatus and it's very expensive and it's still not fully fully sort of effective as yet but it's amazing to think that we've had 20 years of 30 years of research on this now and we're still not very much far yeah very, very far forward from where we were yeah. and the thing is with these prion diseases is that it's not like viruses we can sort of control through eradication and through uh, vaccines and that kind of thing although we tend not to vaccinate 
cattle and things in in Europe do, do we but also like bacterial infections we can control with antibiotics mm-hmm. that kind of thing but these prion diseases there's, there's so there's, there's practically no way of getting rid of them there's no defense yeah mm. and the one thing that struck me was well these things because we're going to be talking about meat products they remain viable up to 600 degrees celsius yeah so even if you take your beef burger and cremate it <laughs> and then eat it it's likely that it's still infected yeah that blows my mind that's perhaps the wrong phrase to use yeah. in context but yeah that, that just really really surprised me the crisis reaches its its sort of peak in about 92 93 mm-hmm I've I've got the number the number of UK victims of sort of the the disease that stems from this, uh, which is variant Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, which henceforth will be VCJD. VCJD. <laughs> I'll take that pronunciation on the chin. Uh, One hundred seventy-seven cases in the UK. Yeah, which is uh, the most in in the world. The most is, in the world. Country. Yeah, yeah. Total is about two hundred and. Yeah, I didn't write it down. I didn't write that yeah, down. We'll find it in And so the, the, there's this sort of acknowledgement that we've got a disease, but I think there's a certain amount of element of trying to play it down at first, and then it takes a long time to really establish the link between BSE and the, the VCJD. I mean, that's not really conclusively medically proven until 1996. Although up to that point, there's a long period where I think there's a lot of the, like food safety people and scientists are going, we strongly suspect this is the case. Yeah. Obviously, they couldn't say it definitely is. It def- definitely is. But and so the solution was essentially eradication, wasn't it? It was where it was detected in herds. Kill the cows. Kill not only all of the cows. So it might be worth talking a little bit about its causes now. Do you think? Yeah. The reason it's VCJD. The reason it's varying CJD is there is a condition called CJD which has existed. Well, was identified in the nineteen twenties or ni- yeah nineteen twenties. Yeah, it's long standing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And the, the, uh, by reading, I was reading the NHS Choices website that there is there's an inheritable form of it, which is very rare, and there is sort of like other forms which which sort of exist in the human population anyway, yeah. but they are quite rare. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why this became detected was because even if a handful of cases was was a big increase. Yeah. So uh, yeah, um, moving on to where it came from there's actually a surprisingly large number of theories but I mean the the proximate cause is what we were feeding the cows yeah well this this yes yeah one way or another what we were feeding the cows cows, yeah so we we got into this situation of feeding cows cows (laughs) (laughs) which it, it just blows my mind that we ever got to that position yeah uh, I was reading about this, and there's been sort of getting into sort of agricultural e- economics about feed in the US and Canada. Soybeans grow very easily, so there's an awful lot of cattle feed, or in like concentrate cattle feed in that market is is soybean. Soybean doesn't grow oh. very well in Europe at all, and so there's this market for meal, and meal just produced from ground up. Anything really? Anything? Yeah, seems. food scraps. Yeah. which would contain meat and also cows that had been disposed of presumably all those would be cows that are ill yeah 
lame uh, can't be slaughtered or have reached the end of their productive lives old cows yeah. and of course we're talking about a disease that builds up over time so older cow the older the cow is the more prions it's got yeah the more the more at risk and, and so this is what and this they reckon this is like an acceleration this is why it became so bad once it was in the system it, we kept feeding it back in yeah and the build-up got faster and faster. So once the crisis breaks, got all the more cases of BSE. So you've got a little bit of a list of what we think might have been the origins. How, how it originally yeah. got into yeah, the cows. Into the yeah. System. So the the generally accepted theory is that there's a disease in sheep called scrapies. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Well, I've got it without the S. Scrapie. Right, scrapey. And infected sheep with that sort of contaminated. They weren't directly fed to the cows on purpose, but contaminated some of the the bone meal and what have you that was being turned into uh, food for cows. That's generally, that's always what I have heard. Yeah, I remember that that being talked about at the time yeah. during the crisis. The, the official cause come to by well, the British, to the, yeah the UK yeah yeah uh, the, the the British government was that it evolved sort of spontaneously that there had always been reports of diseases like this in cattle and that a genetic mutation hmm. probably sometime in the 70s happened to you know one particular cow like a cow zero if you like yeah and then that went into the system you've just described where it got magnified and magnified and magnified yeah. so that that, that was the, that's the official thing which I, I was surprised at I didn't know if yeah and the fact that we, the, the, we still hold to, to this officially yeah. as well but there's another another take on it that th- there's there's descriptions of diseases very similar going back out. to antiquity yeah, yeah I mean Hippocrates going, himself Oh yeah, yeah. Mentioned yeah, it in yeah. the fifth century BCE. So. Yeah, which is a long time ago, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, <that's, laughs> this is old news, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting to think that you know this could be something that has maybe come and gone over the years. You yeah. Know, but you do wonder that outbreaks must have only been very small and localized, perhaps mm. in the past. Yeah. But of course, now we're talking about an industrialized system where we're talking about you know producing meal feeds from ground up cows and bones you know yeah on an industrial scale what they probably would have had you can imagine oh some of the cows in that herd have gone a bit mad when, yeah when we say mad what tends to happen is they lose motor control particularly of the hind legs yeah i remember seeing the footage of yeah. cows sort of staggering about it's very distressing it is actually. what you see in it yeah 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 um so they would probably notice that and they would just get rid of them yeah because they'd be declared lame or yeah. i suppose they might eat the meat so you might then get it in humans but that would be it because they wouldn't then feed the cows to other cows, cows yeah. back then so it would stop another theory that you mentioned first but I, I found it on the internet afterwards and this one was very controversial was that bone meal used for cow feed in britain was imported from the indian subcontinent and the allegation being and the allegation that it was actually infected with human bone meal that is just truly with, awful to contemplate with sort of what you might call traditional cjd so yeah. we we might a possibility that we might have fed cows humans yeah but it should be stressed 
that the Indian government absolutely refused to accept that that had happened. Now, you could say that that's a little bit dodgy because that stinks of a government sweeping it under the carpet and or, saying, oh, no, no. just no. any sort of knee-jerk reaction to an embarrassing allegation. Which is something we'll come across a lot in this story, I think. Yeah, there is. But, yeah, that's just horrendous to think of. Yeah. I think when the Indian government's really denied, because it was published in The Lancet, which yeah, is like so the, the premier British... Um, medical journal they then replied didn't they in like sort of after the indian government did you, did you see see the reply Oh, I didn't see the reply, no. Yeah, the, in the reply, well, not having read the actual Lancet article, but they, they were saying that they felt that they would, their theory was as valid or as likely as anybody else's, but could, probably couldn't really be proved. They just had a bunch of suspicion and circumstantial evidence that fit the data, but couldn't really, right, couldn't can't really be proved as much as any of the other sort of theories we've mentioned in the last few minutes. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I, don't, I don't want to give that too much airtime, I think, because no, no. that, that, that that could potentially be well we'll get ourselves banned in India let's yeah, the, yeah, well, the, another, yeah, yeah let, let's just go for it of course they did say the Indian subcontinent so it could have been Pakistan it could very well so yeah. let's just go for the let's, let's go, go for let's, both let's of them getting banned there. Um, and the next one fertility treatments for cattle made out of hormones from the pituitary gland of other cattle that's a, another way of getting the prions right from because there's a few cases of traditional CJD turning up in humans just after someone's had uh, brain surgery and the instruments six weeks later being used in someone else right which of course was going on a lot in the 80s right okay so you can imagine take something out the pituitary gland of a one cow stick that into another oh right okay. and uh, growth hormones same thing although that seems to have been sort of discounted so I've put that sort of as a little in brackets in brackets kind of yeah right. oh, another nice. one that I thought was sort of interesting but I don't know how they can prove it was it might have come across in an African antelope into a safari park in the 70s that's interesting because antelopes are in the same way sheeps are with a scrapie um, right. antelopes have a similar disease and are very susceptible to it apparently there was a lot of safari parks popping up in the 70s Right, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, but what they didn't explain was how that could have gotten into the food chain of the cows. Right. Other than, well, this antelope died and the safari park sold the body to well, be Well, I mean, it could just be sold as agricultural waste like I anything I suppose else. it could have been, but yeah. it, it didn't explain that and it yeah. wasn't made clear. But it's very tempting, isn't it? It's very tempting because that, that almost seems to mesh with the, the official government explanation of something that was There was a cow zero. In, well, there, it, might be an, there might have been an antelope, antelope zero in, in the 1970s. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. curious, isn't it? Yeah. And the final one, which is my sort of half theory because it's not <laughs> uh, there's an, uh, an organic farmer who has done a lot of research in inverted commas uh, visiting all the sites of you know high BSE incidences yeah, yeah. yeah he has come to the conclusion that it's not caused by <laughs> prions all oh, right it, it, it's caused by environmental conditions nah, I think I'll trust the scientists on this on given this that 
you can give a mouse the disease by injecting it with cow stuff. Right. Yeah. Well, that's not. That's not. Yeah. Conditioned. We can discount. Yeah. Count that. But, but I, isn't that interesting? It's worth speaking that there's this non-scientific theory that still gets like airtime. Right. Like, it's knocking round. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I suppose any discussion of BC, there'll be somebody looking for balance, and, and yeah, this, well, this idiot with his pet theory will get trotted out. Right. Yep. Uh, yep. Okay. There we go. <laughs> Oh, news. So I think uh, the way this pans out in the UK is that this scandal breaks and it gets worse and worse and worse. And once it's acknowledged, once people start to understand, we see the very distressing footage on the six o'clock news uh, on on the TV of cows stumbling about, the, the government has to take action. And so they want to try and promote British beef as being safe. But they also have to take action, and so the action is eradication. And there's obviously a huge amount of money spent on that. There's a huge amount of money spent on compensation for farmers having lost their herds. Because in some ways, I think it's, it's sort of easy to insult farmers for having fed cows to cows, but they were doing nothing that other people weren't doing. This was quite accepted practice at the time, you know, this is, and not just in the UK, which we'll yeah. get to as well. Yeah. And so very very famously, there was the, the Minister for Agriculture, Fisheries and Food, John Selwyn Gummer MP, the Right Honourable, I suppose, at that point, Secretary of State, and he was responsible for food, food safety at the time and anybody who remembers this incident this very famous thing and it was in May 1990 uh, was at a agricultural show I think it was and in front of the press bought a cheap and dirty beef burger from a burger van <laughs> and proceeded a dirty burger <laughs> to then try and feed it to his daughter his four-year-old daughter in front of the press and go there's nothing wrong with this beef it's perfectly fine <laughs> and uh, so everybody said oh he fed it to his daughter uh, actually if you look at the footage the daughter goes oh it's too hot <laughs> and passes it back and uh, actually he's the one that eats, eats the it in front of the camera you know, I can kind of see what he was trying to do but I think it's so unfair to have used his child yeah that is kind of the most memorable thing of this like from the news it's the one image we all keep it's the one thing that was joked about so much and you know, everybody still mm-hmm. remembers and the only reason like of all the cabinet ministers under Thatcher and major governments people still remember his name yeah. like as an, as an agriculture yeah. secretary not, how many other agriculture secretaries can anyone name and the sad thing is like because he was he was environment secretary before that and he was the one that brought in landfill tax oh, right. it was actually very good on the environment you know he, he did a lot of good in his position right. and he's been very good on marine stewardship and things like since he was in government but this is the thing he's remembered for <laughs> yeah, it's really sad. Well, the other thing is, is, is immediately after that uh, incident, he then gives a statement to the press, and he's kind of saying, "British beef is perfectly safe. We've got the scientists and all the advisors, the government making decisions promptly, and you know we're very active on this, and you know we, we're all agreed that it's perfectly fine to continue eating British beef, and it's a very kind of upbeat, and, and in some ways, it smacks of." taking it too far brushing it and, and yeah. like trying to minimise the issue mm-hmm. and, and trying to say that everything's fine but then again I was looking at it here's a question do you remember when the egg scare was in the UK with Edwina Curry Edwina Curry yeah that was a little bit 
earlier, wasn't it? It was. It was in 1988. I'd yeah. forgotten that that came earlier. So just to tell that tale, a government minister at the time said that British eggs were infected with salmonella, mm-hmm. right? Which was quite probably true at that yeah. point. But by the fact that she said it and was honest, it just created a massive crisis in the egg market. Mm-hmm. In some ways, it kicked butt and it changed practices in the... The egg industry. In the egg industry, <laughs> it really did, right? And, and salmonella and eggs is almost unheard of now. It does happen, but it's always under control. But it's interesting that the disaster that was that, and it kind of ended her political career. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. yeah it really did. Gubba tries the opposite, but did he try and take it too far? Yeah, I think he did. The, and and because then the, the the story in the UK then is all about the economics of this because the uh, the European Union and the United States and Canada, all of our export markets, they just close the door and go no more exports of British beef Mm. and that really damages our industry. I I, I must admit that I didn't follow up on on the numbers but I think that damage is still ongoing. We don't export as much beef as we used to. As we used to. Yeah. And so uh, well, I mean, while we were searching, well, to let people in on our process this time, we were a little bit different in that we researched together. Well, we researched separately together. <laughs> <laughs> I still can't get my head round how the bands worked because by the time uh, Foot and Mouth came along, which was a later. <laughs> British food scare <laughs> involving every kind of animal the exports got closed down again and by that time people were saying that oh British beef was seen as excellent quality beef in Europe and we saw a sudden increase in the quality of beef we had in this country oh, because yeah, the sure. good stuff stopped being exported that's right yeah. so I, I still can't work out because the BSE export ban was in place for at least 10 years yeah it is it's 10 years and, until it's finally lifted and France didn't lift theirs because they kept theirs illegally for quite a long time afterwards. Yeah. I can't quite work out. So we were banned from selling beef, but then we were banned from selling beef while still being banned from selling but beef. But under foot and mouth, I think we were banned from selling a lot of other stuff as well, wasn't it? Like pork products and. Was it? Yeah, all, all kinds of different things. Because I remember when that happened, if you went to well, Wimpy's of all places. <laughs> Whoopi being a long forgotten uh, British. There's still some open, you know. They do exist, but they're largely forgotten British fast food chain. There happened to be one in Chesley Street at the time. That's right. It was the only fast food place in Chesley Street. But they stopped selling their beef burgers and were selling minted lamb burgers. Is that right? Because they were safe whereas the beef burgers might not have been it's, it's worrisome to think that because the the products which really are a problem are the it was beef on the bone because where you've got beef the meat next to the bone where you've got the the nerve tissue yeah and also uh spinal columns and so on all the uh, tasty bits of me all the tasty bits right <laughs> Love me yeah. a bit of spinal fluid. Oh dear, yeah. <laughs> but this is the thing, isn't it? Right. The, the, I remember the time when you, you saying to me, you know, oh, do you know those beef burgers we get at school? Yeah. In the school meals, you know, probably contained eyeballs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because that was like a like a common usage for that kind sort of, of meat was just to be ground up and put into. Well, I used the term meat loosely at that point. <laughs> animal, animal protein, animal product. Animal product. 
<laughs> yeah, and and I th- you know they they, uh, they, they that that was very common because eyeballs have all the nerve tissue at the back. That's where these prions will prions prions uh, will will gather. You know, and so if if anybody's had a dose of it, it's our generation. Yeah, that's quite scary, really. Yeah, and well, I suppose this this feeds into something. I think we're probably going to be doing this later on, but it's it's a nice little segue. Our generation are probably going to be hit by it. The the operative word there is still probably going to be right yeah because yes yeah. yeah, cjd chance, seems to have an incredibly long incubation period yeah i remember at the time it was said that it was about 20 years so it should be about now that we're all feeling the effects yeah but there's thought that it could be up to 50 years yeah well we might all die of other things in the meantime we might as well die of other things <laughs> <laughs> What do I fancy dying of today? Yeah, the thing is, there is there is certain conditions which aren't worth treating because it's more likely that you'll die of something else yeah. in the meantime, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's true. The treatment will be worse for for you. Old news. Remember, listeners, we'd very much like everybody to share and subscribe. So we're available on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Player FM, and all your favourite podcast apps, and also on Intune Radio, and even through Amazon's Alexa. So like, rate, and subscribe, and reviews on iTunes, please. Thank you very much. about like sort of the causes technically or scientifically mm. and I, I've written a little bit about sort of like the the causes generally one of the things that surprises me is this is very cost driven isn't it this is about taking a waste product dead animals that we don't need mm. and things like food scraps and whatever and recycling it it's there you know it's a cheap source of protein to mm. feed cows I can sort of see why they did it because it, it's very easy, you know. Like I've written a bit about about sort of the power of farming lobbies, which we'll come across later on. Like farming lobbies are extremely powerful. Right? They're big, big businesses. They're the big landowners, aren't they? They consume a lot of sort of effort mm-hmm. of the state. Again, it's very easy to point the finger at farming lobbies, particularly things like you know the uh, the National Farmers Union, and go, "Oh, these are terrible vested interests." Yeah? But farming's really important. Yeah, it does create food. Yeah, it's it's like it's the foundation upon which like industrial society is based. Uh-huh. We still need that, and so when farmers say we want to do something that's cheap to make food cheaper, I can sort of understand that people want cheap food. People need cheap food, or they'll yeah. go hungry, or we'll we'll pay them. We'll have to pay people more wages to buy expensive food, yeah. and that's bad for the economy. So I can sort of understand a bit of that. So it's very you know, there's the whole thing about. Oh, greedy farmers. You never see a farmer on a bicycle. Ah, right. Okay. Uh, it's a cliche. <laughs> but yeah, there is a cliche out there, right? You never see a farmer on a bicycle. Yeah, you only see them in Range Rovers. In Range Rovers yeah. driving in nice cars in town. And yes, that's because land is valuable. Land, if it's worked well, you know, will uh, provide that sort of income. But I find it weird 
but I sort of understand the economic pressure to do it. Mm. I think the other thing as well is we kind of forget that this is all done in Europe, especially, is done in the background of the uh, the rather boring subject of the common agricultural policy. Mm-hmm. You know, this is when we were still paying farmers to produce, mm-hmm. and it didn't matter how much you produced, you would get paid for it. You'd yeah. get guaranteed prices. And that's how we ended up with mountains. Yeah, but mountains. Do you remember right. surplus beef? I don't. Um, we've talked. I actually don't remember it, but I do remember talking about it, mm. uh, where there was just ca- like cans, canned stewed beef, beef. Uh, just but just marked as beef. <laughs> well, I remember seeing seeing it. I think in the UK, I think you had to be a claimer of benefits and things to qualify to be issued free surplus beef. Right. And I remember seeing it in a shop somewhere, and it was uh, the cans were unlabeled. Oh, unlabeled, just silver, yeah, right? Yeah, just silver with the boxes, uh, like the boxes were labelled. Presumably, it was like a, a print on top. But mm. so we're, we're in this, this era so again. There's this rush to produce stuff, and you wonder if that if this is a driver, you no, know, for the the use of strange meal products. He's mm-hmm. just a way of Making high more. Yeah, yeah, more food, more beef because we're feeding them this high density protein food, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe we should probably think a little bit about that. Policy was probably driving part of this. And the other thing is, we were talking about eyeballs, uh, and I just wonder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the only reason why eyeballs in all of that product is used is because like technology moved on in yeah. that era and we had like mechanically, mechanically recovered meat yeah. which is still a thing yeah oh yeah you know most a, a lot of meat product for your cheap sausages and whatever is all mechanically recovered do you know do you know how that works yeah they, well they get the, the the carcass and very high pressure water is sprayed yeah. and you just get a slurry bits. yeah yeah and then you squeeze you put the it, water out of yeah, it yeah put it to a big f- sieve yeah <laughs> Mince pie, yum yum. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? We all eat it, and it's very tasty. Mm-hmm. Probably because it's got loads of salt in it as well, yeah. but that, to make it tasty. Yeah, so it's interesting to think that we've got all these different drivers, and I think there's a there's a certain certain people want to point the finger at farmers. And I think that tends to be more sort of organic farmers as a lobby. Maybe it's people who have a maybe it's a vegan or vegetarian standpoint, kind of a lot of green. Mm-hmm. Lobbies point the finger at the farmers and go, "This is terrible industrialized agriculture." Yeah. But we're an industrial society, and there's lots of us, and we need feeding, yeah. right? Yeah. And then, and so I think that's just very easy and very lazy. Yeah, I think there's policy. Like we can debate the ins and outs of the common agricultural policy, but that sort of made sense in a post-war era. We still needed. It was probably about the time we we should have been changing it, and yeah. we left it running too long. The same, but. After World War Two, we did need we need muchos food. Well, yeah, because people 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 literally, literally died. People literally starved in the streets. Yeah, yeah. In, in, in continental Europe, less yeah. so in. In the, in the UK because we had people to rely on like the Americans and the Canadians yeah. and, the, and New Zealand but you no know, places like Netherlands in 1946 47 people died didn't they through mm-hmm. starvation so th- so we've got that sort of context so again it's easy to point I think there's a lot of people who are pro-market forces and anti-government and anti-bureaucracy and maybe anti-the EU perhaps mm-hmm. uh, and they point the finger at them and go this is terrible government regulation that's caused this or whatever but that yeah kind of see why You'd they still, were doing what they were if doing you, if you still left it to market forces you would still get the same thing the cost drivers were still there yeah, yeah. 
yeah because we don't have the supply of soybeans right? but what what it did take if if they're the things we say we can see what they were doing it's that little thing that says you were feeding the cows to cows there's a reason people don't eat people well I genuinely laughed out loud when I read the sentence in the Wikipedia article which I yeah. started with is quote cattle are naturally herbivores that eat grasses <laughs> yes and you know what the fact that that even needed to be saying said, in yeah. this no one stopped to go mmm we've known this for quite some time haven't yeah. we you know like cattle have been domesticated for the last couple of thousand years at least yeah. you know old news one of the things I wanted to do with this episode is kind of broaden out the the story because I think we in Britain see it as this very kind of Britain Britain centric yeah the, this terrible disaster that happened to us everybody else sort of built the wall around us and refused to import our beef but so the, there's all these kind of bigger pressures going on and I think it's worth just visiting what happens elsewhere in the world yeah yeah, yeah. yeah? so which country had the most cases of BSE in its herd I know this. You know, and I know. France. France, the French Republic. Shock horror. Isn't that just appalling? Yeah. Isn't that just appalling that this story, still years later, everybody goes, it's the British disease, and the French were doing everything to cover it up? Yep. Right, we'll talk about the power of of cultural lobbies, and the French agricultural lobby is just yeah very very extremely powerful powerful. it still is right the ban on British beef is like nakedly political Mm -hmm. it's nakedly uh, anti-competitive anti-competitive and we will protect our own farmers right and yet they have BSE yeah because they're doing the same thing soybean doesn't grow in Britain but it doesn't grow there so that's why they're buying this meal Mm-hmm. the meal made from cows and so the official recorded number of cases of BSE in France right, up until the big investigations was 923 individual cows and after after the sort of the, the investigations which were court ordered after a scandal like upwards of 300,000 cases an, an, an interesting difference was you probably saw the same table I did of the number of cows infected where France had more than the UK but in terms of number of people infected uh, the UK was still well ahead of France did I you wonder, find I wonder why that is yes yeah, I was that's just what I was going to ask did you find anything about why I didn't know I didn't Un- unless they just caught it faster I wonder how much is this to do with French eating habits might yeah it could be you know our ability in Britain to eat tinned beef burgers yeah <laughs> right compared to come, come out of the club at three o'clock in the morning absolutely hammered on hammered. cheap lager yeah go to the dirty burger van and then feed your four year old daughter a tinned beef burger right this is the height of British cuisine mm. at least it was in 1989 uh, it so still is <laughs> onions on that yeah. oh yes please some yeah. boiled onion yum I mean, but this is pure speculation though right we don't know it is curious so despite the enormous quantity of beef and this is the thing that all the noise made by the, the farming lobbies in France and the politicians in France to keep British beef out and they did it illegally against court orders and all kinds of things once the ban had been lifted was largely just to disguise the fact that they had a problem of their own so they have had nine cases of VCGD that's still nine people that haven't been protected 
mm-hmm. when when they could have been once they saw what was going on in Britain that they could have done the same thing. Yeah. Interestingly, the Republic of Ireland are kind of they have the same issues as us in some ways to a smaller degree, but they cooperate. I think if anybody comes out of this really well, the Republic of Ireland, mm-hmm. they were very responsible. They acknowledged their problems. A lot of the investigations that were done were done on a joint British Irish basis. Yeah. Because they they had cases in Northern Ireland and in the Republic. So despite the fact that they've had like a, was it like a thousand cases of BSC, yeah, somewhere around one thousand one hundred, yeah. they dealt with it the same way that we did. But other places, sort of that had smaller issues, went and did the same as France, yeah, Spain, Portugal, Germany, and Belgium, where presumably they had two types of BSC. <laughs> the strong suspicion is, like in France, did they cover it up? Is it massively underreported? Yeah. So this is this it might be seen as a British problem, but the agri- agricultural system we were it was the same all over Europe. Yeah. yeah. Old news. Most of this crisis is wound up by 1996 in the, U- the UK, yeah. although the ban persists. Uh, we've got what happens in when is this in Japan? Well, 2001 in, um, in Japan. Yeah, in, yeah, in Japan. It was what what made me sort of laugh was that uh, the European Union were running a study and they were about to say that Japan was at risk of getting BSE. So the Japanese government stopped cooperating with the study when <laughs> right. when when did they have their first case of BSE when they stopped mm. cooperating yeah right. later on that year 2001 that's just oh. and immediately all of the other Asian countries shut down imports of Japanese beef that's just, that's just mad isn't it but one of the things that surprised me is Japan didn't even have a food safety agency until yeah. 2003 what comes across I think in a lot of the countries is a, a sort of arrogance of oh we don't do that that can't happen here so the Japanese were very much oh we feed our cows uh, on beer and is it corn or something yeah because they don't have a huge amount of land to graze cows on yeah yeah. but there was no there, there was nothing in place to stop people feeding their cows something other than beer and corn or whatever it was might not have been corn and turned out someone had been someone had been feeding their cows something that culturally they wouldn't normally oh really right and that's where it came from how much do you think sort of nationalism is a part of this you know that farming is seen as like a real it's a totem of national identity isn't it I think less so in Britain but certainly French farming Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm is seen as being very much of of France. It is France, you know. Yeah. It's it. Is it linked to your, your cooking as well, perhaps. Yeah, and your cuisine. Yeah, right. Yeah, you yeah. know, French cuisine is held in high regard. Or as you would say, Japanese beef is is considered very what, high. What's quality. that very posh beef called? Kobe, Kobe beef, something like it is that. Kobe beef is this? Yeah, uh, and so you've got you've got this sort of very. Uh, knee-jerk reaction from the the, Jap- the Japanese. But the, again, the Japanese are forced to do the same things that everybody else did. Yeah. They ban the feed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they the, set up a, a they governmental up a department. <laughs> food, st- <laughs> food safety agency. I started looking in sort of the depiction of BSE and the Americans, right? I had it in my head that the, Amer- the Americans had never really had a problem and the Americans talk about mad cow, you know, like mm. we've seen, seen yeah. before, right? And the uh, the agricultural lobbies in the US were extremely keen to ban imports of British beef. The moment they had an opportunity, you know, it was yeah. that sort of protection 
thing again. Uh, and so I like that. And do you, did you watch The West Wing when it's no, on? No, I've never watched it. No. All right, because there's a bit where there's a case of Mad Cow, right? And there's this sort of, oh my God, Armageddon. Oh Geddon's going to happen because there's been a case of mad cow and it's really interesting because they kind of think oh well all of the Brits were poisoned by, by it you know they're all they're all going to die could, could happen here and there's a whole debate about do you cover it up or do you be open and honest and whatever mm-hmm. turns out it's a false alarm if I remember rightly but actually this is very much a, a story of the US and Canada this is a North American problem in 2003 and the first case is on May the 20th 2003 there's an Albertan cow who presumably has been drinking shale oil or something (laughs) and maple syrup (laughs) Uh, having been so nice about the Canadians at the top of the show and now making sarcastic well it's Alberta though (laughs) anyway uh, (laughs) they're not real Canadians well are they more Canadian they just you, have. They is just there have a scale lots, of Canadianness? They just have lots, lots of oil. Um, <laughs> it's everything that's bad about Canadian politics plus oil money um, in Alberta. Anyway, so uh, they 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 have this one, and then in the USA, the first instance is December the twenty third in two thousand and three. It turns out that this cow is actually an imported cow from Alberta. So it's a Canadian cow that goes, oh, I'm going to die uh, in, in, in America. Which <laughs> <laughs> uh, is obviously extremely, extremely embarrassing for everybody. Uh, but what, what's interesting, right, is that you just get these conflicting lobbies, right? Everybody, the, the Americans slam the door to Canadian imports, right? And which is just so bad for Canada and then when that happens the Canadians put restrictions on American imports right? and this is all one trading area right and there's just the cost to Canadian farmers and particularly in Alberta was billions upon billions of dollars mm-hmm. and lost trade and then in the eradication efforts and so on there's actually then a, a battle between lobbies because you've got the farming lobby on one side that says let's keep Canadian beef out yeah. right? but there's a big meat processing industry in the US which relies on beef imports Right. so they counter lobby saying no 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 Canada has implemented all these changes they've banned the feed they've got a testing program da 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 so there's a, there's a whole battle in the courts and then the US Senate votes 52 votes to 46 for keeping the ban or extending the ban and it's on and off and on and off and eventually they get it all sorted out because everybody sort of agrees that they're on top of the problem Canada does all the same things that we have done they remain a country that is at risk in the same way that we are but we're like minimally at risk because we've got protection measures the suspicion is in the states that their ability to monitor the cases of BSE Mm -hmm. is not great no you can imagine because of the internal farming lobbies they don't want to admit that there might be a problem with their beef no Uh, because obviously it's a vastly important business and there's this bizarre incident where there's one of the slaughterhouse companies processing companies and say starts to test for BSE great they're being responsible they're being market leaders they're doing something they don't need to do and the food and drug administration in the states actively stops them from doing it Mm. it bans the sale of the testing kits to that company on the grounds that somehow that would be be unfair competition on everybody else yeah by imposing a cost burden <laughs> 
for the country that's meant to be the great capitalist. Yeah, you, you're stopping them stamping on. No BSE. Yeah, yeah. A company that says our beef is 100% guaranteed BSE free. No mad cow here, right? <laughs> right. Much as I might find that a bizarre marketing strategy because of the sheer shrill nature of the, the, the coverage in the States, no mad cow here would, would make sense. And the government goes, oh, no, no, you can't operate in a free market like that because mm. that would be unfair somehow. Never mind protecting the poor consumer where there might actually be a problem we're not acknowledging. Yeah. That it just blows my mind. Old news. One of the things happened with the changes in slaughtering practices, mm. we have far less abattoirs now, mm-hmm. which means animals have to be transported further. Yeah, which, which means if they have some other disease like foot and mouth, it becomes harder to contain. Yeah. Yeah, which is exactly what happened to us. So the things that were forced upon us to get rid of BSE are possibly contributors to the outbreak in foot and mouth. Yeah. But even 10 years after the foot and mouth outbreak, the American border still has big signs that says keep foot and mouth out of America mm, mm. you know British produce ban da 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 yeah right it obviously offends my national sense of pride to see Britain trashed the moment you get to the border yeah. and we are trashed we are yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's a little bit upsetting to see it actually yeah yeah but that's only there because of uh, an agricultural lobby that says well let's trash somebody who's trying to compete with us yeah I think I don't think mm. there's any scientific basis for that well, it's old news. We've touched on this earlier, um, why it's important and why this affects humans and how it affects humans, and it's because of the VCJD. So let's look into that a little bit. So the first case of VCJD in the UK was 1994. I, d- I don't know if you saw what the symptoms are of that. There's psychiatric symptoms, which are depression, anxiety, and apathy. Uh, so in <laughs> so the a little bit worrying. But in the early stages, that could just be many people with a simple mental health problem. Yep, yep. Uh, then neurological symptoms are unsteadiness, uh, difficulty in walking, and involuntary movements. So similar to as we, see what we saw in the cow footage in the early 90s. Yeah, yeah. Now, my problem is uh, I've got two of those psychiatric symptoms and one of the <laughs> neurological ones. That's right. So, yeah, you've, you've got these symptoms. And people like us, our generation, were the ones that were exposed to this from... Yeah. I mean, that first guy who died in 1994, you think, well, that's, that's quite quickly after the outbreak but of course we're talking about a possible cow zero in the 1970s yeah and it's so he could have contracted at any time between then yeah. and this is the big thing isn't it it is unclear how long the incubation period is yeah the interesting thing about that was that they we talked about before i remember hearing that it was about 20 years but they now think it could be up to 50 because of a de- disease called kuru i'm which, not sure if i'm pronouncing that right which is from papua new guinea right where, of course, they famously uh, performed cannibalism. Is that mm, the right word? Yeah. P- Consumption of long pig. <laughs> yes. Apparently, it, the main thing, I, I know they've got this, the whole... I will get shot if we say that. Yeah. Certain tiny populations within PNG yeah. were famed for, for it, but this is and by it, no means a majority pursuit. No, no. And but only, it only was, for very small periods as well. And it was yeah. dead people who died as uh, a form of mourning so right. they didn't kill people right. to do it um, but that was banned in the 1950s Right. so although it's almost certain that the practice didn't stop completely 
Okuru is a disease which is very similar to CJD. It actually hit epidemic proportions in the late 20th century, so in the 1990s. Right, so, so that's long after people, the ban. Exactly. Long after the ban, the number of people suffering the disease... Mm. came along about 50 years later right interesting so there is the possibility that we're all still a large number of us are carriers in fact it's been worked out in a a large sort of reliable study a large scale study in the UK I think there's 493 cases per million people (laughs) as carriers because there's this 2013 study that comes out with this 1 in 2000 people yeah that's the same if you same work out figure. the maths, it's yeah. the same figure. One in 2,000 people are carriers of, of the, the prion, or prion, uh, which which could then develop the disease. The, there's an interesting article in the New Scientist from January of this year, so this is bringing it sort of right up to date. There's a case of VCGD in 2014. It's a young 36-year-old man who has... he. Ha- all of the VCGD cases up to this point, uh, those people have a certain genetic make- makeup, and yeah. it's to do with the way they interact with the proteins. And there's two forms of interaction. Some people only have one, some people only have the other, and there's a third group who have both. This fella had both of these genes, or both of these proteins, which meant that he was the first case of somebody with this, both these these sort of interactions where he, he, he got VCCJD and died, which means there's a new group of people who potentially are victims. Yeah. And because they have both interactions, it might take longer for it to build up. Mm-hmm. So there's this one in 2000 figure from 2013, but it could be so much more in the UK population. It could be a much big, bigger group. But the article ends with an interesting point that, that if the one in 2000 figure is right, we would have expected 6,000 deaths already. Right. We haven't had, had 6,000. So it's only very rarely people are having it build up. Yeah, and right. become fatal. This is still only only 177 people. So yeah, I, I, that was the note I ended on, and I thought, hmm, this is interesting. So it's kind of mixed. It's mixed news. We might. Yeah, we still could all die. We still could all die of it. Yeah. Anybody who ate school dinners in the 1980s or have fun rolling that dice, <laughs> or it might just we might nothing. have already seen the worst of it yeah, and we might be worried about absolutely nothing on the way and we haven't had a case of vcgd in a year or two yeah i think it was last year last year was the, the like first year that's been completely free free for a little while so memories we're seeing at tail end yeah so interesting note to end on yeah forever <laughs> Welcome to old news for your occasional dose of <laughs> horrendous death, downers death and destruction oh dear yeah. well I think that's all I wanted to talk about I think it's yeah. been interesting and it's been interesting to see that something that kind of was forgotten about still it still echoes in the press it's still around as a news story but it's moved into like the scientific press you know there there it is in the new scientist quite prominently but it's not it doesn't make so much of the main the mainstream news anymore News podcast, as always, would like to extend its thanks to bensound.com for them supplying royalty free music and also to Mr. Peter Kitson for the use of his voice. 
well, thank you for listening. Hope we haven't sent you away too terrified of, of uh, mad cow disease. I think we're in control. Should I put a sound effect somewhere? Uh, I imagine you're going to. It'll probably be very poor taste, but oh, yes. I imagine it'll happen. Oh, yes. Uh, but yes, uh, goodbye. Goodbye.